weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Big thanks to two Johnnies and Africa. It's Friday the 1st of March and you're listening to Game On. It's snowing, but we still have a busy weekend of sports. So coming up today, Alan Cawley, Fergal Brennan, Brendan Devenny and Jane Mangan all preview the weekend's action. We're also live to Abu Dhabi, where Ireland's cricketers have secured their first ever test victory with a win over Afghanistan. While in athletics, we're live to Glasgow, where Greg Allen will bring us up to date on the Irish in action at the World Indoors. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or on X at GameOn2FM or you can WhatsApp us on 087 187 Alan Cawley is with me in studio. That means it's Fabulous Friday, Alan. Fabulous Friday, yes. Well, it was... Uh, I don't think it started as Fabulous Friday <laughs> with the chaos that was going on in the country today, Marie, but the show must go on. Yeah, sure and here will. we are. A few games cancelled over in the League of Ireland yeah, I was tonight. disappointed. All uh, local as yeah, well, so I've no game tonight. <laughs> yeah. I was due to go to Daily Mount, so I'm going to have to go home, light the fire and watch Derry and St. Pat's. Not a bad second prize, to be no, fair. No, no, at least that's on anyway. Mm. Um, and hopefully then the rest of the weekend will go as planned and whatever games were meant to go on will go on. Um, also cancelled today was John O'Shea's press conference Mm. The FAI uh, sent out an email this morning about 11am to say that the first time we were going to hear from John O'Shea will be put back until Monday. Um, they did, though, announce his backroom team, Alan, and the big name in it is Brian Kerr. Yeah, it's brilliant, Marie. Um, I suppose I haven't been chatting to you since John was announced himself, so I was delighted to see that as well, especially, I suppose, with the the messing that's been going on in recent times over the fact of them trying to chase the permanent manager and all the uncertainty that shrouded that. So um, John O'Shea was always there and available that they could have put him in place weeks ago. But he's there now uh, for the next two games and I think the hunt is still going to go on. Now, it was strange when they came out during the week also and said, we will definitely have an appointment by such and such a date. I always think that's dangerous when you're, especially with what we've seen so far in terms of the chase. So I was delighted to see John... Um, put in place for the next two games it'll be interesting to see just how he gets on obviously Paddy McCarthy going in with him as well well regarded young coach learning off Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace and as you say the announcements today of a couple of another ex-international Glen Whelan but the big one is Brian and um, of course I have a personal relationship with Brian and I worked with him a long time ago and then working with him obviously here as well and I'm delighted Marie it's been far too long that he's been out in the wilderness in terms of Irish football when you think of what he can offer and what he's offered for so many years and it was wrong the way he was kind of uh, isolated it was a personal thing really in my view uh, after because his, his his career actually when he was the manager was very good and his managerial record was very good so the fact that he was kind of out in the cold for so long in terms of Irish football it was a travesty really but to have him back he still has plenty to offer uh, and I for one am delighted to see it Yeah it's uh, it's it adds a little bit of kind of I know John O'Shea is box office himself but because Brian is such a popular figure it does add kind of a more allure as well to go and watch Ireland playing to see that the role that Kerr has because people felt he'd been ostracised from Irish football for so long yeah, Absolutely Marie and he was uh, everybody knows that uh, so to have him back um, is absolutely brilliant. He, he'll be there, and in, in, it's very much a support role, really, for John. Obviously, he'd have a close relationship with John O'Shea as well, having managed him, um, and like he has a close relationship with all the lads that he would have managed over the years. And to hold him in such high regard, and he has such a massive amount of respect with all those former great players. So the fact that John actually went to him as well and wanted to get him involved, I think it's brilliant, Marie. And as you say, the fact that he is there adds another little layer to it for all us that are interested. Because the one thing with Brian as well that you get, um, 
and it's not just the international team he cares and that's what we want to see Marie we want to see people there who care who want to put Irish football in the right footing in the right place and get it I suppose on the right track if you like to to succeed a future inter- future major tournaments is what they're all aiming for now whether John is interested in the job permanently remains to be mm. seen he'd have to be though he would have to be <laughs> and, and this is the thing Marie like he is such a, a brilliant I suppose he has so many good credentials himself having been a brilliant player and such a, a wonderful career that he had with, with such a great club as Man United and obviously represented his country glowingly for years and years if he does well in those two games mm-hmm. I'd have no qualms whatsoever about giving John O'Shea the job people might point to his experience or his in- inexperience if you like but Stephen Kenny didn't have huge experience mm. in terms of I suppose high level football if you like as a manager mm. in terms of across the water or international stuff so he did Arteta when he took over Arsenal so and, and, <laughs> and I often find with these things as well Marie you won't know until they get the yeah. chance and you have to be given the chance like everything in life no matter what what job or what role it is until you're given the chance we won't know so the fact that John is in for those two games if they were to go well I'd have no qualms whatsoever and who knows Brian might be there for the long term okay right <laughs> um, as you said who knows and he seems to be a very popular figure John O'Shea and Brian Kerr as well and so is Glenn Whelan so um, best of luck to all of them now there was a little bit of history made in Irish sport today when Ireland secured their first ever test victory beating Afghanistan by six wickets in Abu Dhabi. We spoke a little bit about it last night on the programme with Andrew Leonard, who was in Abu Dhabi and we're going to speak to Andrew again who was still in Abu Dhabi. How are you Andrew? Great to hear from you, and uh, lovely to hear all of Alan's passion uh, for the for the <laughs> soccer there going on. Great times in Irish sport. A historic day for the Irish game here. You can add first of March to the the list of second March, uh, twenty eleven when we beat England in the Cricket World Cup, and probably St Patrick's Day, uh, two thousand and seven as well when we beat Pakistan, our, our first big cricket victory today. Magic scenes here in Abu Dhabi. Oh, it's amazing, and like you set it up so well for us yesterday, and you were quite confident that they could make it happen. But tell us, how did the game play out today? Yeah, it was quite remarkable. It really was. Um, Ireland, kind of last night, had, had almost got not behind in the game, but you felt Afghanistan with that kind of that that advantage of having batted first. It meant that Ireland would have to chase a total in the fourth innings. Each side bats twice in a in a Test match. Anything sort of approaching 150, 200 would have been really difficult for the Irish batters to get. But Barry McCarthy today, well, he bowled seven hours unchanged. He picked up a wicket. He barely went for any runs. And then Craig Young came in. Mark Adair was the player of the match in the end with the best figures in the history of Irish Test cricket. He picked up, I think it was eight for across the match. All the Irish bowlers were just exceptional. And it meant that Ireland only needed 111 to win the Test match. Um, it was kind of scarcely believable. They were in that position and then the old fragility with the baton came to hand and at one point it was 13 for three. We lost three very quick wickets, including two and two balls and, and having only been in a position of chasing a fourth inning score once before where we needed 180 to beat England at Lords back in 2019. That year we were bowled out for 38. I think a few of the Irish fans, there was 30 or 40 that travelled. They thought, oh God, here we go again. We're going to lose this golden opportunity. But uh, Andy Balberni... Paul Sterling and then Lorcan Tucker came together and saw Ireland home for the most really incredible victory. One of the, one of the great moments in Irish cricket in history here. Yeah, it seemed to be fantastic. And I think for Andrew Bradburney in particular, he, he really played that captain's role, didn't he? Yeah, look, he really did. And what makes it all the more remarkable, I suppose, is that, that Andy Balberni gave up his his captaincy of the Irish team in the two main formats that we mm-hmm. play, the, the T20I and the 
the ODI format uh, last June after a disastrous Cricket World Cup qualifier campaign down in Zimbabwe. So for him to come back, he's held on to the test captaincy test captaincy because we don't play that much of it. So for him to come back and, and captain and lead Ireland to take 20 wickets, to bowl Afghanistan out and then to be the man out there with an unbeaten 50 alongside his, his Pembroke Cricket Club teammate, Lorcan Tucker. Well, I'm not going to lie, there wasn't too many dry eyes in the house here in Abu Dhabi. We were speaking yesterday as well just about the matches that it takes for nations to get their first test win and Ireland have now done mm. it um, after eight or in eight which is really impressive when you look at the table and where they rank and, and how long it took for some other nations to get their first test win Yeah look you're, you're, you're spot on Mary like it's unbelievable I think we're fifth out of the 12 nations now all 12 nations with Ireland winning today have actually got a test victory and um it's hard to explain how big an achievement it is. New Zealand, who are a fine cricket nation, one of the best in the world. They won the World Test Championship a few years back. They took, I think it was 26 years and 45 matches to get their first ever Test win. We've achieved it in six. Um, look, it's certainly still a developing sport, a minority sport in Ireland, if you will. But I think that the group that they have together under the likes of Andy Balbernie and Paul Sterling, they've just done such an amazing job for the country. And yeah, really hoping this is a big impact back home. Yeah, it seems to have anyway. There are lots of people talking about it today. And just in terms of what comes next for them now, um, on the test scene anyway. Yeah, look, I think one of the great challenges for the lads is that they don't get to play a huge amount of test cricket. There isn't a structure that kind of gives them a league where they, they get a guaranteed number of fixtures every year. So because they're out of the World Test Championship, just the top nine teams, 12 teams have that status, the ability to play the sort of the pinnacle of our sport. Um, only nine are, are actually in the World Test Championship. Ireland are on the the outside of that alongside Zimbabwe and Afghanistan they played here so they will play Zimbabwe later in the year in a test match that'll be hosted in Ireland just the second ever test to be hosted in Ireland after our inaugural one in Malahide back in in 2018 where Kevin O'Brien famously made that century and Ireland gave it a really good go against Pakistan so there isn't a huge amount to look forward to but I'll tell you something from seeing all the Irish boys here this evening uh, every single one of them is still wearing their, their test match whites <laughs> even though they're out enjoying a few drinks this evening I think it's, well, exceptional scenes and something everyone who, who's travelled here to Abu Dhabi uh, just never never going to forget. Uh, fantastic, Andrew. And so they should enjoy it as well because, um, as we've spoken about, it is a very historic day for Ireland cricket and with their first ever test victory, beating Afghanistan a little bit earlier on. Andrew Leonard, thank you so much for all of that. We won't forget today, as you said, March 1st, another big day on the journey for the Ireland <laughs> cricketers. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for sticking into the diary, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Great to be Thanks, Andrew. Now, from going to Abu Dhabi, we are going to go to Glasgow because Greg Allen is at the World Athletics Championships. How are you, Greg? Indoor. Hi, it's Hi, Marie. How are you? <laughs> it's I'm World good. Indoor Athletics Championships, which I think is probably a good thing at the moment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Being yeah. indoors. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't, fancy, don't fancy doing track and field in those conditions. <laughs> What's the weather like over there? It's actually been a fine day. It's just been a, an ordinary, cool, crisp uh, winter's day, uh, although we are, I suppose, in the first day of meteorological spring, but it, it, it's been, you know, just cold and crisp. No sign of any of that stuff. Crazy over here. Anyway, at least we had the athletics this morning for anyone who was snowed in or didn't want to venture outside. And a very enjoyable morning spent watching, in particular, Charlene Mosley, uh, Greg. 
Yeah, like Charlie, Charlie Mosley is uh, is very talented, uh, a 400 meter runner who absolutely glides over the track. And and last year at the World Championships, she really did kind of rise to a new level. She ran no fewer than six races in the space of around six days, uh, two relay races uh, in the mixed relay, the qualification race, and the final. Uh, then she ran the individual, and somewhat surprisingly, she qualified for the semi-final of the individual at the World Championships last year. The reason. I say surprisingly was because her mixed relay final in Budapest last August was less than 11 and a half, 12 hours or thereabouts before her morning heat of the individual 400 uh, so she really did you know, perform extraordinarily well and I think it was that, at that point we started to realise that we have to really look not just uh, at Rashida Adeleke and Phil Healy as, as uh, you know 400 meter runners of real quality that we've been producing for the last few years but Charlie Mosley is now joining that sort of troupe and she proved it again this morning she's uh, really I think stopping by at these championships if that's the right way of, of putting it because this is a very complex year for athletes they have to peak for a European championships in early June and then of course the Olympics in late July early August so this World Indoor Championships is a third major championship in the year and some athletes have decided not to run for various reasons mainly because it's, I suppose it's hard to peak for three championships let alone two but Charlene ran a couple of races indoors realised she was running well decided to come here she was going to come here with a relay in any case decided to enter the individual towed the line this morning and ran a stonkingly wonderful race not a very fast time but it was 20 past 10 in the morning and she crossed the line in the most remarkable scenario I think I've ever seen covering athletics for more than 30 years I have never seen a trip dead heat but she had a triple dead heat with Henriette Jaeger Amandine Brossier that's a Norwegian athlete and a French athlete both of whom are vastly quicker than Charlene Maudsley is on times run this season and in their career and there was Maudsley across the line exactly the same as two athletes that she would have looked up to so her rise from the world championships last August to this morning is, is kind of on a trajectory that we don't know where it's kind of going to end now having said that she's in the semi-final this evening at 10 to 9 and she's ranked 6th of the 6 athletes in the semi-finals but she qualified across uh, the line in such a good position today as an automatic qualifier that she's drawn lane 4 which is just about the best lane she could have drawn the best athletes in the field you know high quality world class athletes uh, Talitha Diggs of the United States and Lika Claver of the Netherlands they're in the optimum lanes lane 6 and 5 and then Maudsley is just inside them in lane 4 and inside her will be Suzanne Gogli volley of Austria. Amandine Brossier, who was in her heat this morning, she's also in lane two. But Mosley's you know, stature is such that she's improving almost with every championship race that she runs. And I wouldn't put it out of her range to reach the final. It's an unlikely scenario. But, you know, when an athlete is improving and they gain confidence, you just don't know where that confidence will end. And she's got a chance, an outside chance of making the final, which would be enormous for her. Yeah, it really sounds it. Um, you spoke to her as well today, Greg? Yeah, and after the race, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that she was absolutely buzzing. I'm absolutely buzzing with that. Uh, I actually planned to come like fourth, <laughs> but with a fast time, but the time was a bit slow and yeah, I finished really strong, so I'm actually really happy with that. Yeah, look, this is a world championship. When you finish a race and ahead of you are two athletes who are faster than you in terms of personal best, but you catch 
basically both of them. That must be very encouraging. Yeah, definitely. I think I'll just go into the semi-final now and give it everything I have. I have absolutely nothing to lose. And, you know, I think I shook a few heads there that they were like, well, she's not meant to be here. <laughs> but no, I'm actually really happy. I think maybe, you know, being a World Championship semi-finalist outdoors last August makes them be aware of you now. How much did those six races in Budapest at the World Championships last year feed into the confidence that you seem to have in your running? Yeah, I think it actually gave me all the confidence I have. Like, I'm going into this evening now being like, oh yeah, just another run, uh, which is absolutely great. I'm really looking forward to it. Usually I'd be dreading it, but I'm buzzing. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of picked this up uh, on the way. This World Indoor Championship might not have been a major part of your season, although the relay on Sunday will be. Um, kind of nothing to lose type of territory isn't it yeah absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain and you know i think i'm making i'm cementing myself in this kind of surroundings right now it's where i want to be maybe a little bit better but you know it's one one day at a time and it's a great journey to be on and this evening a pb will be nice because you've come close to a pb 5191 is is there to be cracked isn't it yeah i think i want a pb <laughs> if i run a pb i'll be leaving the championships buzzing um, so yeah that's the aim it sounds like a plan there from Charlene Mosley. What about Israel Olatunde? He was also in action today in the men's 60 metres, Greg. Yeah, Israel Olatunde. Uh, if we go back to 2022 when he was the finalist in the European Championships, and of course that created a huge buzz. He was sixth in the European 100 metres final. And then uh, last year uh, at nationals in indoors, just about a year and two weeks ago, he clocked 6.57 seconds for the 60 metres, which is world class. But he has been off that standard a little bit since then. And today he did you know, run a season's best of 6.70 seconds, but you cannot give a metre of track away at this level, over 60 metres, such a short distance. A metre is a long way in a 60 metre flat sprint, and that's how far off he is from the form he was in last year. Having said that, he finished in fourth place. He was in with a real chance of making the semi-finals until the third last heat when he was bumped out of the uh, these non-automatic qualifying spots. Uh, there were only three non-automatic qualifying spots, so he was a bit unlucky. And he was only point zero two of a second that's two one hundredths of a second off making the semi-finals so i spoke to him afterwards but uh, you know he wasn't too disheartened yeah, i was nervous i was just watching other races seeing if i did enough to get into the semi-final you know and i didn't i came up short but um you know i have to be proud of that you know a season's best it's not the season's best i, I kind of wanted but um i can leave this championship with loads of experience and you know just getting ready for the outdoor season now yeah there's an element of this world indoors being a stepping stone championship european championships olympic games they are the focus but where are you in your preparation for those big championships coming up in the summer i feel like i'm right where i need to be i guess you know considering you know the season i've kind of had um with you know illnesses and there's different obstacles this indoor season but you know i'm leaving this in the right mindset positive and excited for the rest of the season when you look at the European Championships, that's where you reached the final uh, two years ago in Munich, and it generated a fantastic, I suppose, buzz for you and for admirers of the sport to see an Irish singlet in the final of the 100 metres in a European Championship. In a way, is the Europeans almost as important to you as the Olympics? Mm, I guess, you know, I take everything in my stride. You know, the Championship, you know, that's upcoming, that's what I'm going to be focused on the most. So, Euro Europeans are first, so that's my main focus now. Um, you know, every, every championship is a different experience, so I want to go into it, you know, give my best and see what I can do from there. And just in terms of the Olympics, it is, of course, the dream. Um, how alive is that dream? It's always it's alive as ever, you know. I think I'm right where I need to be. Um, it's, again, just taking things one step at a time. Excited for Europeans, hopefully, this summer, and then pushing on for Paris. So, Greg, this evening, uh, Sarah Healy in action. What are you expecting from Sarah? 
So Sarah Healy, this is an athlete that I've got massive regard for, um, mainly because of how, how she broke on the scene back in 2018 when she was 17. She was the European under-18 champion, not just at 1,500 metres and 3,000 metres. She also was a European under-20 silver medalist in 2019. And then, because she's a very high achiever academically, to some degree, you know, she couldn't give, I think, you know, her athletics as much, I think, focus as a lot of her opponents would have been doing, a lot of her opponents being full-time. And I think there's been a bit of a hiatus, not just because of that. She also suffered from a little bit of a lack of self-belief in her ability to achieve at senior level in major championships. She was very self-critical of her performance at the Olympics when she didn't qualify from her heat. Similarly, at the European Championships in 2022. And then just over a year ago, she, she made the, the decision to switch to Trevor Painter's group in uh, Wigan in England, where Keely Hodgkinson, the Olympic silver medalist, who's around the same age as Sarah, a little younger in fact, is, is there. And, and suddenly Sarah was among a group of peers. And suddenly she also realized that, you know, a, a major global medal winning athlete like Keely Hodgkinson is just flesh and blood, who just works very, very hard and has a ton of talent. So Sarah Healy has always had a high work ethic and she's always had the talent ethic. So, I mean, there was always this element of wanting to crack out of her shell to find out what her ability actually is. So we've seen something of that since she went to this uh, group over in, in Wigan. And incidentally, Trevor Painter, the coach, he's married uh, to Jenny Meadows, who's a, a world championship medalist at 800 metres. So she's also part of the mentoring group. And I know Jenny, she's, she's a, an absolutely effervescent character. And she keeps talking about Sarah Healy has not yet, we have not yet seen the best of Sarah Healy. And, and Jenny said this actually to me only about two weeks ago in, in a, well, she said it to me in, 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 a, in a communication that we had on, on social media uh, and on WhatsApp that Sarah ran a 4.03 metres, which was an Irish record, a huge Irish record by two and a half seconds. And uh, Jenny said that she didn't feel that Sarah had run nearly her best that day. And then Sarah went and broke the Irish 3,000 metres record as well. And these aren't just any records. Say the 1,500 metre record belonged to Kira McGeehan and Sarah Healy took two and a half seconds off it. This is all a way of saying how much talent and ability that Sarah Healy has and when she marries that to the belief that I think she's going to have again because she feels I think in herself that she's doing the right thing to honour the talent that she had when she was an 18 year old a 17 year old and it's coming really to fruition now and we saw some of that at the World Championships in Budapest last August when she was only two places off making the World Championship 1500 metre outdoor final and she also broke the four minute barrier in other words she ran her very best race in a major championship cracking the four minute barrier that was a huge step for her so just to get out of her heat tonight by the way and into the final she has to finish in the top three there's an Ethiopian in her heat Berke Halam who's five seconds quicker than anybody else in the race she's probably got one of those three places nailed down so Sarah Healy will then be up against the likes of Lucia Stafford and a couple of other athletes, one from Poland, uh, who are very close to her level. So she has to qualify for the final. But if she makes the final, I think she's got top six written all over her. And maybe if, there, if there's a, a proper fast run race in the final on Sunday, there's a chance of breaking that Irish record again. And I think it's possible by the end of this weekend. And I don't want to spoil things and, and you, know, you know, put the kibosh on things and, 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 and speak too highly of Sarah Healy. But I believe she's special, and I think she might prove something of that this weekend. I 
So, Greg, what about the rest of the weekend? What should we look forward to? Well, Sarah Lavin is special. We know that. She's one of the great stories of Irish athletics. You know, a relatively late bloomer by comparison to the talent that she had just over 10 years ago when she was a silver medalist in, in the 100 metres hurdles at European level, at European junior level. Uh, Sarah Lavin is now misses, Miss Consistency. She's incredibly consistent. She's run nine races this year under uh, eight seconds for the 60 metres hurdles. Every time she toes the line, she's competitive. She's a huge championship performer. She was a world indoor finalist, a shock world indoor finalist two years ago when she was completely unranked to do so, but made it into the final and finished seventh. And also in 2022, she made the European Championship final in which she was fifth. And she's been in fine form this indoor season. Lots of sub eight second clockings, which is the mark of world class. She's bearing down on Dervil O'Rourke's record of 7.84. She's got to 7.91. That's her PB from earlier this winter. And I think she needs to crack that 7.84 to have a chance, I think, maybe not a chance, but to, to be sure of making the final. And if she makes the final, you know, Sarah Lavin is such a competitor. The only problem is that the event that she's competing in, the 60 metres hurdles, is one of the hottest female events on the track right now in terms of depth. So just to make the final would be a huge achievement for her. The relay squad, which is uh, Phil Healy's been added to that relay squad from the team that finished uh, in the final of the World Championships in Budapest. That relay squad's got a great chance of making the final here because uh, Charlene Mosley is in flying form we've seen and she's the star of that uh, 400 metre squad. Goodness knows if Rashida Adelecki was here how well that 400 metre squad would do but even without uh, Rashida Adelecki the uh, the squad reached the final of the World Championships in Budapest so that has to be their their goal when they uh, go in the heats tomorrow but also uh, Roisin Flanagan will go in the, the women's 3000 metres that's a very tough race for her to progress because it's laden with that uh, World Championship Ethiopian talent um, and I think, you know, if we get a finalist in Sarah Lavin, a finalist in the relay, and a finalist in Sarah Healy, beyond that will be, be gravy, as they say. Sounds good, Greg. Uh, looking forward to watching all that and chatting to you over the weekend as well. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a break, but before we do, I want to tell you about our competition, the competition that's been running all week. So Game On has been teaming up with Energy Ed to give away some fantastic prizes. You could be roaring on Ireland in the women's rugby at one of their home games in this year's Guinness Six Nations. We've match tickets, spending money and more to give away across the week. Don't be half a fan. Think of the possibilities and get behind the Ireland women's rugby team. On this evening's show, you could win a family set of four tickets, a 300 euro hotel voucher, so that you can make a weekend of it. Plus, we're including 200 euro spending money for games against Italy, Wales or Scotland. To be in with the chance, answer this question. True or false? The Ireland women's rugby team won the Six Nations title in 2015. Simply text the word Energia along with your name, answer and email address to 51552. And as always, or she, competition terms and conditions apply to c2fm.ie for details. 2FM. Now, welcome back. Alan Cawley is with me in studio and Fergal Brennan joins us all the way from Merseyside. How are you, Fergal? Can you hear us, Fergal? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello. Oh, great. How are you? I'm good. We were talking a little bit earlier, Fergal, about John O'Shea and his um, new coaching ticket, which is great. We're delighted that he's in for the couple of games anyway to start. But just in terms of what the perception is of kind of the job that he's done as he was in and around other teams, being an assistant, learning his trade and, and stuff like that. Have you heard much about him? Uh, bits and pieces are generally quite positive. Um, I, I think he, he has a lot of credit in the bank from his his playing career. Obviously, he's 
been connected with with Manchester United and Sunderland and and Stoke and Reading in terms of his, his coaching CV. And I think there's there's not a huge body to work with in terms of um, players and things that they would have to say about him. It's it's very much just piecing little bits and pieces of information together. But I think in terms of his uh, his reputation uh, and what he'll bring in the March window, uh, what is to come after that, you know, we're kind of back to. Uh, trying to guess what's going to happen after that we don't really know but um, I'm looking forward to it I think he's the type of person that's almost perfect for this position to come in there's a bit of negativity and uncertainty surrounding the the situation at the moment he's someone that the players will know well Um, he'll command a lot of respect there's obviously a lot of young players that will be looking up to him in terms of his his playing career particularly at Manchester United Um, and and it is just a wait and see in terms of what happens next and the news obviously earlier today of the the additions that have been brought in um it, it's just to kind of wait and see and and i think then after the march window we'll have a clearer picture of of what the plan is yeah it's uh i think a lot of people are wishing him well and hoping it, that it goes the way um the way he wants it to go anyway and who knows after that he's very well liked john O'Shea. he is liked isn't extremely he extremely well yeah. liked yeah i don't uh, always think that's a good thing though uh, well, I think yeah. In his case, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. too nice, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that because you can't please everyone. And sometimes when people are nearly too nice, it's too good to be true. Nearly. Look at me finding false. Here we go. <laughs> no, it's not the case with John. Believe me, he's a, he's a really good fella. And I think, as Fergal said, the credibility that he's built up as a player, but he has that likability factor mm-hmm. as well. And the fact that he was at such a brilliant club for so long, so reliable, dependable. Ferguson would always call on him in different yeah. stages throughout the season, big games even. Um, even though it almost seemed at times he was just like a bit power player but he was still crucial yeah. um, and obviously he was such a brilliant servant to Ireland but yeah he is he's he's he has such respect as well gained from everybody across the water and here as well he's one of our greats and when you think of not many greats that we've we've kind of produced over the years Robbie Keane Duff he's in that category mm, Che Given he was part of that batch and uh, that group that came through and um yeah, everybody wants to see him do well. That's what I'm saying about Marie. My general feeling about it is that I'd, I'd love to see him stay in charge if things go well. And I don't think many people would be bothered either. I think people would be quite happy with that. Yeah, as long as things go well. Fergal, I think it's going to go well for Liverpool against Nottingham Forest. I mean, on paper, they probably shouldn't really, actually, when you look at all the players that are missing. No Salah, no Trent, Jota, Alisson, Nunes and Slobosly should be okay. McAllister, Robertson, Endo, Diaz are coming back, but they'll be managed game time. So if the kids know, are the kids enough? This, are the kids enough for the Premier League? I don't think there'll be too many kids tomorrow, uh, particularly in comparison to the, to the amount of kids or, or teenagers or twenty early 20-somethings that played against Southampton in midweek. Um, the, the small margins are so important here between now and the end of the season, and particularly if Liverpool want to go deep in, in every competition that they're involved in. And Jurgen Klopp will be managing every minute of every game, speaking to his medical staff, speaking to his coaching staff, and and making those sorts of decisions. I think we'll see one or two of the um, of the young guns that played against Southampton um, uh, in in midweek. Possibly Bobby Clark in midfield or James McConnell. I think they're the areas where probably Liverpool are the lightest at the moment. But um, I think it'll be interesting when the Europa League comes back. They've got Prague uh, in the last sixteen. I think we're going to see a lot of those same players playing in the Europa League because there's so many games that that Klopp has to manage between now and the end of the season. He wants to win every competition that they're in, but he really knows that his main guys, his kind of first 15 to 20, they've got to be reserved for the Premier League. And because of those injuries, that's been cut now to probably 
over 13 players that he's going to be asking a lot from. Um, I thought it was very interesting in midweek, the Southampton game, where he took Van Dijk off at half-time um, and there was only a very, very, very minor muscle fatigue or muscle soreness and he just went, no, off, we're winning. Comfort enough that we can get this done. Canate can come on. He's experienced enough to get through 45 minutes. No risks taken. We've got Forrest at the weekend. Um, and I think I think that's how he'll play it um, tomorrow against Forrest. And obviously they're in a position where they're still looking over their shoulders over a possible points deduction. They're not in the best form. Um, I, I would imagine Liverpool will go there and, and win. Al? That's what to do now, to just go, places, go to places and win. No, no Until matter. they don't. No matter who's missing, Marie, yeah. uh, they've built up such a brilliant squad. Uh, serious momentum behind them now as well. And it's like as if no matter who steps into the shoes of whatever player is missing, they deliver as well. And I think that's what Klopp has built over such a, a brilliant period of time. And I suppose those doubts and question marks around his announcement a few weeks back as to how it would go in terms of was it the right time or was it the wrong time? I think we've all had the answer quite emphatically as well, Marie, because it seems as though it's galvanised them all to have already one trophy in the bag. Um and they're firing on all fronts now, obviously, trying to win a league. But I, I mentioned here on Monday, I think it was, I don't remember a time when we've had three teams as good as this, all fighting it out for a league title. There's plenty of times when we've had maybe two, couple of rivals going against each other. I don't remember three as good as this. And I and obviously Arsenal in the mix as well with, with the brilliant Liverpool and the brilliant Man City. So I think it's going to be an unbelievable ending to the season. I think for all us tuning in uh, that love the league and obviously uh, want to see brilliant football, we're going to see plenty of it. But I think Liverpool will be for us tomorrow. Do you think that Man United could upset the Man City apple cart on Sunday, Fergal? No. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, apologies. To, that, that sounds a bit blunt, but no. I, I, the situation that United find themselves in at the moment, um, inconsistency is still an issue. Sir Jim Ratcliffe has been very non-committal over retaining Eric Ten Hag at the end of the season. They just about squeezed through in the FA Cup in midweek. They've got Liverpool now in the next round, which will be a very, very difficult test. Um and the top four picture could look very different at the end of the weekend if Spurs win and Aston Villa win. And as expected, United do lose out against City. Um, they've lost to them already this season in the Premier League. And City really, as we expect, kind of late February, early March, start to click into gear. They've got all their big guns back. Haaland scored five in midweek. Kevin De Bruyne is back fit and on song. Phil Foden's been fantastic in the last couple of months as well. Um, I think this could be a really decisive weekend in the top four because... We've been talking about Tottenham and Villa for the last few weeks. Can one of them do it? Can they really, really push on and maybe force United out of the race and give a new dimension to that fourth place? I think they can um, because United, if they lose this weekend, have got a lot of ground to make up between now and the end of the season. The one thing with United, and Ten Hag was asked this as well, Marie, after the match against Forrest during the week, about the consistency and he was quite emphatic in his answer to try and shut it down straight away to say, we have been consistent. And if you look at the stats... It probably backs up that they have been in the sense that they've only lost one game in 2024. Um, and now we're obviously here. We are in the 1st of March and that was to Fulham last week. But the problem is the performances. They never look like they're in control of the games. It's not like Man City reeling off seven, eight, nine wins and, you, and they're emphatic wins and they're destroying teams and banging in goals and they're in total control of the games. United, it's always a struggle. The Fulham one, Al, was one of the worst ones. Well, last week it was dreadful. Yeah. But I'm, on, I'm even talking about really the games that they were winning. 
and they're still a struggle and they still look like they never are in control but it's always a moment of, of magic or an individual pops up with a bit of quality um, and that's what they've been so reliant on obviously Hoyland has stepped up since Christmas as well he's been very good and he's been missing the last couple of games but I, I'm never sure what you're going to get with them. What do you think of Rashford's? Uh, he did it. I didn't like it at all with uh, the Players' Tribune. Yeah, not nonsense stuff. Like again, about uh, I can take the cri- he can't. He goes around sulking, so he can't take the criticism, and he's proved that as well. Like and and then he's coming out saying he, he he's bigger and don't question my commitment to this club. That's nonsense as well because if you were committed to the club, he wouldn't have been over in Belfast partying a couple mm. of weeks ago, <laughs> and he wouldn't have been carrying on like he was the night they played Newcastle. Him and Martial walking around the pitch. So it's total contradiction of actually what we're seeing then when he performs. And I like Rashford, but don't come out then doing the interviews when you're not backing it up with your, I suppose, your form on the pitch. And he's a talent, but by all accounts, the the relationship is broken down with him and Ten Hag as well. I worry for Ten Hag as well with the new ownership. I don't think he's the man, Marie. And the reason I say that, whatever about the noise that's going on in the background and... And I've sympathy for him in a lot of the struggles that he probably faces on a daily basis. But when it comes to the stuff on the pitch, he's in control of that. And I never see any plan in place or never see them in control of a game. Never, There's no identity to the team or a structure or a shape like what we see with a Klopp or a Guardiola or an Arteta. So I would worry for him now with the new ownership in charge. So what if they do win then, Fergal? Does the pitcher change for Ten Hag if they beat Man City or are we just going to look at every game like that? Uh, I, I, again, I think it slightly feeds into what Alan would say, and and this this does sound very very harsh on Manchester United. But if they were to get a win against Manchester City this weekend, it would be via one of those routes. It would be a, something special from maybe Bruno Fernandez or Garnacho, or they catch City on the break because they have got speed. Rashford, obviously, he's been mentioned there. He's quick, and when he's on form, he can stick the ball in the back of the net in, in those types of situations. And City have been caught out a couple of times due to the way that they set up, but you'd probably also look at it and say, okay, can you build from this? Can you turn this win into three, four, five? And Ten Hag got a little bit tetchy when he was asked about this in the build-up to the game when a journalist used the word inconsistent and he said, well, we were consistent. And you kind of go, well, no, consistency is double figures in all competitions, wins on the run or unbeaten on the run. That's consistency. It's not four or five wins put together. Um and I just think it's so unlikely that they will win this weekend. I suppose, as you mentioned, in a, in a hypothetical, if they do, yeah, it'd be a huge positive. It'd be a derby win. The fans would be delighted. But would you even then be confident that Ten Hag could kind of rally them in and say, look, use this as the switch point of the season. We've got to get into the top four. We've got to be playing Champions League football next season. No, I don't think so. They won't win. <laughs> well, on that well, note... No, yeah, well, no, they won't. <laughs> no, they won't. On that note, uh, they might win, lads. You never know. They won't. Half three on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Uh, Fergal, thank you so much for joining us, Alan. We're going to be doing racing, and so you may as well stay. Oh, we're starting I wouldn't leave you now. I, I, can't, I can't bow out now. Yeah, so you, you'll see at home. Uh, right, we're going to take a break, though. Uh, Brendan Devenny is coming up next to talk about getting football, and then Jane Mangan on racing. RTE 2 FM. On 2FM. Welcome back. We're turning our attention to Gaelic football. Brendan Devenny joins us on the line. How are you, Brendan? I'm the best, Marie. Yourself? How are the pitches up there? 
They're, they're great, eh? they're great. Hey. They're, they're full of uh, the joys of Jim McGuinness and we're all getting ready for a tilted doll Ireland. No snow. I'm not going to keep any. No snow. I'm not going to keep. I'm, I'm not going to keep a cap in this. Oh snow! <laughs> but you know what? Hey, by the time I got up today, which my boss doesn't know about, the snow was gone. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's not listening, Brendan. He's not listening. <laughs> Good hey, news, though. Day, lad. I've had a hectic day. Uh, there's no time for now, but my God. But anyway, I'll just <laughs> bear with me on. <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll be keeping an eye on uh, the Derry City St Pat's game as well to see what the pitch is like and see what the level of snow is for the. Derry Dublin game tomorrow. Um, that's well, fine, yeah. Derry, oh, the Astro. Fine. Um, just the snow and the surrounds is what I'm yeah. worried about. But anyway, okay, let's start with Mayor Roscommon because this one, uh, Brendan, is uh, quite an interesting one. Mayor, four points, Roscommon, three points, four matches played. So it feels like a big one for the two of them. Yeah, the Rossies are going to drag the Mayo men down. How they would love that. You know, it was a real it was a real statement performance last week. You know, listen, relegation fight with Monon blew them away. And my friends in Roscommon were telling me, you know, they, they pretty much a full squad back in Ludler main men back, back from suspension and injury. And listen, that was a top class performance. I was in Healy Park watching uh, Mayo and second half, you know, poor, poor performance from them. And from a position where Mayo, league champs, you know, again, could have seen themselves at the top of the league. Now they're looking over the shoulder. And this this is a huge match because sh- should they lose that, they're right in the thick of a potential relegation, which I mean, nobody wants. You know, I'm looking at Donegal and Armagh last week. You know, it wasn't the greatest game. Both teams, you know, didn't, I think, go all out. But it certainly was an intensity level from a lot of other games. Donegal blown away for Manor and Cork in particular second half. So there's no doubt and everybody wants to be in the top flight. So this is a big, big game for the two teams. Yeah, it is. They're all starting to feel like big games now. Derry and Dublin uh, tomorrow at five o'clock. The two form teams in the division. Will we get a cracker, Brendan Devaney? Don't know. I tell you what, if if Dublin score half what they scored last week, I would think that's the cap where it is. This is going to be a very different game, Ray. And this task force that's set up to, you know, analyse football, if they've seen last week's game, they'd be like, just leave it alone. Because you had two teams leaving players up and kicking the ball and going at it, hammer and tongs. And then you had the brilliance, of course, of Conor Killen, who was superb the week yep. before against Ross Common, too. He was unreal. The, the running of, of their defence from deep and, you know, Bugler, Fenton, you know, small... We've lost Brendan, Brendan Devaney when he was in full flight. He was in full flight as well. He absolutely was. Might come back to us now in a minute. Um, looking forward to that Derry and Dublin one because mm. they're um, they're playing such exciting football. Well, Dublin are definitely anyway. And as you mentioned there, Conor Callaghan is in brilliant form as well and so much focus on him. Um, we have Brendan back, I think, now. Brendan, are you back? Sorry, Marie. No, you're grand. Marie, where, 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 where were we? We were Sorry, talking about how brilliant Conor Callaghan um, is and was. Yeah, yeah, and I was just saying that the, the supporting cast, obviously, got Kenny, Fenton, Bugler, Small. I mean, literally the whole team was was massive. And again, Dublin under a wee bit of pressure. And I think that's what you get with league games. If you look at Throne last week, they, they had obviously Kerry away and Dublin away to come, Monning at home. So they said, right, if we can beat Mayo, then we're staying in the league. Basically, we're, we'll do this. And I think the pressure was on Dublin, though at home it was Kerry. And they really came out with a statement performance. And I suppose if you look at Derry so far, you know, they beat a, a Kerry team, missing maybe seven from all Ireland, Tyrone, missing a lot of players, weren't going well, Galway, missing Comer, Walsh, McDade, etc. So I think this is the first big test from them. They obviously beat Derry at Celtic Park last year in Division 2. Dublin beat them well in the league final. But just the way Derry have been going about games, they've just been taking teams apart. And I would expect them to beat Dublin at the weekend. So what about Terry, Kerry and Tyrone then? Uh, we saw 
Kerry had a few defensive issues. Are they going to be able to fix it in time for the Tyrone game, do you think? Or that'll be something that'll take more than just a week or so? Well, you have a fellow beside you there. He might have been known as the Dazzler himself on the pitch. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> last week, I'll tell you what, the Dazzler yeah. and Canavan, the two of McCurry and McCann, I swear, Marie, I don't want to get carried away in late February. They were unbelievable. I mean, it was just simply, it was a, they were operating on a different level. And poor Coyne and, and, and Kellen and them at the back, they were just like chasing shadows. So, Tyrone always had an opportunity or a chance within them. But, Marie, this is a way to carry. Tyrone have lost in the last three games a way to carry by a combined total of 50 points. So, it's a bit ominous for them going down there. Now, Marie, nobody has a good record against Kerry down there. Anyway, it's a very odd time they would seem to lose. I can never remember one of the match down there. So, <laughs> so, so I can't see. I can't see. This is kind of like almost like a free shot. For this Tyrone team, they're unearthing some new talent. They've lost a few players from three or four from that All Ireland team, which is Integral. Still defensively a wee bit suspect. They really upped it second half, and when they did, may no, no answer. And I'll tell you what, we we, we can't even McCurry playing like that. There's not a game where you don't have a chance. I just think, particularly after last week, you're going to get a bounce back from Kerry in terms of that defeat. There'll be a sting from Jack O'Connor. We know the way he manages. He'll be very hurt by by the manner of that defeat. So I think you'll see a very tough uh, Kerry team and they'll have too much for Tyrone. Their final Division 1 game is Monaghan and Galway. We know that Monaghan have an ability to be able to claw their way out of the relegation. Will they be able to get kickstart that with a win over Galway on Sunday? Yeah, we do funny thing. Galway actually without all those players seem to still be playing okay. They had that very good victory away to Tyrone, which surprised a lot of people. And then last week, you know, they had their moments uh, against this Derry side who's been busy rolling over the top of everybody. So there seems to be a bit of a kick. Um, my, my friends in Galway tell me that they came into the league late that they were pinning all for championship, that they're becoming, kind of getting better as the league goes on and goes on. The manner of Monaghan's defeat last week was with a lefty, with a head scratcher. How did they pull off that first performance against Dublin? No Dublin were we, but maybe late coming back into it. But still, we then expect that this Monaghan team to maybe push on as it is. I think that Ross Common game was, was basically relegation time. And I think Galway will, will win that match. Uh, and, and they themselves obviously are desperate for the points. Brendan Devenny, as always, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on the weekend's action. Um, I hope your boss isn't listening. And uh... tell Brent, Brendan, I was a dazzler off the pitch as well. <laughs> uh, hey, the dazzler. <laughs> well, do you know what? Gateway Hotel, Marie here, and I'm actually doing a uh, judging a fashion show. Oh wow! So, Colby, this is this is the kind of gig that you usually get. Like, somebody's throwing me one. Right? I was about to say that there's a pair of you in it, and there absolutely is. Uh, thank you so much, Brendan. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Now we're going to turn our attention to racing and Jane Mankin is with us Jane that's a hard act to follow it is indeed uh, but fortunately I don't mind if my boss is listening because I got up at a good respectable hour this morning <laughs> good to hear Jane and I wouldn't date you for just a second so Jane I know that um, we haven't had great weather and yeah. that's not ideal for horse racing or any sport so has it affected anywhere any races any meetings it, it may well have a big bearing on what we enjoy over the weekend. Uh, any outdoor pursuits, it hasn't been. It ha, it's quite inclement, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Didn't it predict the, the, the level of snowfall that we had uh, around the Dublin area today? Of course, it has thawed, but it it is turned to slush. Uh, there is an inspection at seven thirty in the morning for tomorrow's Navin card, and currently Leopardstown, which is due to take place on Sunday, is subject to an inspection as well. So we hope that we might have a dry night, uh, fingers crossed, but it's absolutely baltic out there as well. 
So let's hope it'll uh, just all round the sun comes out tomorrow because there is a good card at tomorrow at, at Navin tomorrow. Race five, the flying boat novice chase. Won by Indiana Jones last year. There might be just four in here, but I'd be hoping that it might be a good one for my dad. Um, his horse, Blands Tower, I think would be difficult to beat in the race, even though he's giving away seven pounds to Blood Destiny, who he met off level weights last time in the Kalini novice chase at Punchestown. Uh, they look two talented pairs. They're they're uh, exciting now. Cases who obviously are not going to sell them. And uh, let's see if, if which one of them comes out on top in the in the uh, fifth race tomorrow at Navan if it takes place. The other feature race of the day really is the four twenty three. The race six five declared for that. Won by any second now. Last year trained by Ted Walsh and owned by JP McManus. JP has a pair of them in there this year, fighting fifth and Andy Dufresne. But I suppose. The most intriguing runner is the return of Journey With Me, who we haven't seen since uh, April of last year when he ran in Punchestown and fell behind Clarinelli in grade one company. Before that, he'd run some good races to a high level um, for Henry de Bromhead and Rachel Blackmore. He's in against the Gullet Plate winner Ash Tree Meadow in the ever-consistent Lucid Dreams. But they're the two obvious races at Navin tomorrow. There's obviously Leopardstown subject to inspection on Sunday. And uh, the feature racing over the weekend in the UK, you've got the Kelso tomorrow featuring the Moor Battle Hurdle. Big handicap with 18 runners and the favourite is likely to be under control for Nico de Bonville and uh, Nicky Henderson, who endured a somewhat turbulent week with the, the news of Constitution Hill's work. But credit where it's due, uh, Marie, their transparency in handling uh, uh, this horse and his work is to be commended because the public seem to be up to date on every move Constitution Hill makes. 12 days to go to Cheltenham, you know. Will he make an announcement on Monday, Jane? It seems so, yeah. He's uh, done his bloods uh, today. They weren't ideal. Uh, he's got a chest infection for all intents and purposes and he's on an antibiotic for the next couple of days. So I'd imagine they'll give him an easy weekend and reassess on Monday. But they will take all next week. I don't expect a definitive answer of whether he's going to participate in Cheltenham or not by Monday. I think they'll have every opportunity to give him a break over the weekend. And a bit like ourselves, when we don't feel 100%, antibiotics can have that effect. And they'll give him an opportunity to build up his health next week and, and still have, maybe, make it back in time. But the core thing to, uh, to remember, and I'm sure Ruby's discussed this over the week, Constitution Hill is race fit now. It's not like he's going to get a couple of days off and all of a sudden he's going to be unfit. The fitness work, the core work is done. The finishing touches, it's not ideal. Absolutely not ideal. But the other question we need to ask ourselves is, if Constitution Hill turned up to, to Cheltenham on Tuesday, a 90% fit or 90% himself, is he still good enough to win? Mm. There's every possibility that he would be. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Right, Jane. Thank you for all of that. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We will have a big Cheltenham preview on Tuesday with Ruby, so do tune in for that. Now it is time for our competition winner, our last amazing energy prize of the week. We're going to send someone to one of the Ireland women's rugby home games in this year's Guinness Six Nations. Congratulations to Orla McLaren from Loch Grey. You've just won a family set of four tickets, a €300 Euro hotel voucher and €200 Euro spending money for one of Ireland's home games in the Women's Six Nations, an absolutely brilliant prize from Energia. That's all we have time for. Alan, thank you. Pleasure, Marie. Yeah, you enjoy your weekend as well. The official chart show with Blonde and Tracy is up next. RTE 2FM.